Pierce was originally from Rhode Island and now is ministering in the Texas area. He said, the happiest day of my life in ministry was when I had Providence, Rhode Island in the rearview mirror as I was driving out of there. Because that place does not support strong ministry at all. In fact, Pastor Steve is one of the largest churches in the area. They got four or five campuses now. But how they got there is the reason why I'm telling you the story. Because as Steve would go and find out, they heard about what was happening in Toronto. He took a flight out there with Nancy. And they just went and they stood in the atmosphere of revival. So a lot of people just think, oh, it's strange. People are making too much noise and people are falling on the floor. That's unattractive to me. Some people are afraid of the manifestations of the spirit. They like to invite him, but they just are afraid of his manifestations. But Steve and Nancy didn't care. They went and sat in that atmosphere, thinking nothing of it. Came back home to Rhode Island. Sunday morning, Steve gets up to preach. And he says, Felix, before I opened my mouth, people started shouting, amen. That's right, pastor. Amen. Amen, pastor. That's right. And he said, I'm not saying anything. He's just staring at the congregation. And I don't know what they're hearing. But they're saying, that's it. That's right, pastor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, it was like that. He talked for a few minutes, made an altar call. Anybody he touched was out on the floor. Well, that service lasted until 1, 2, 3 in the afternoon. It kept carried on going. And some people, they had to find them rights to take them back home because they were out of it. You know, when people are like this and they need to drive, that's called driving under the influence. It can get you arrested. So, <laughs> so literally, they had to get some, can you take auntie and uncle back to their home? And they said, I, I wasn't looking for this manifestation. I just wanted God to show up in our meetings. Well, from the day that that happened, the Lord took them into a tornado of experience that lasted for maybe four or five years. And he says, in that four or five years, we had built a new campus. We found 60 acres of ground right close to the highway. He says, if you ask me, A, how we could afford it, two, how we did everything we did, I couldn't tell you. All I know is that a cloud of grace covered us as a church. And when we surfaced, this was five years later, and the Lord had given us an amazing you know, congregation. He had given us a vibrant church. We were, that was the church that used to bring in all the major names in the prophetic or those that are intercessors. They'll bring them to Rhode Island. Steve is the one who used to host that conference in that city. Well, he's the one I called because Steve understands revival. And he says, Steve, man, I'm, I'm driving from Lakeland. And, and, and four years ago, I preached in this place. And I had a very unusual experience with the Lord. And then I just came back to, they invited me back this weekend, and the same thing happened. And then Steve said, don't you know the story about Lakeland? I said, no. He says, no. There's an old pastor there years ago that wept and wept and wept over Lakeland, saying, Father, may you open up a gateway of heaven that flows in through Lakeland. He says, you will trace some of the great moves of God in the United States have had something to do with Lakeland. In fact, some ministers went there, they were getting manifestations, and then they put their name on that move and tried to act like it was something that they were doing. I can attest with all of my heart, it has got nothing to do with human personality. There's something, there's a grace that is over that piece of ground. The question is, how did it happen? It happened because the men of God went to that area and prayed down heaven over Lakeland until the Lord opened up the heavens above that place. I minister for another good pastor friend of mine. His, his name is Pastor Sonny Stimson. Pastor Sonny Stimson, is, his church is in a little place called Scotland, Connecticut. Scotland, Connecticut is like three and a half miles from a rural road. 
Okay, so you have a rural highway that's in the middle of nowhere, Route 6, in the middle of nowhere. 30 minutes from the nearest McDonald's, okay? 30 minutes from anything. So there's a, this little rural road, then you gotta get off that rural highway, and then you gotta drive another three miles until you get to the absolute middle of nowhere. And when you get to that middle of nowhere, you find yourself on a campus, like maybe a $2.5 million campus, with a, a church that sits uh, around 1,200 in the middle of Norway. Now, everyone who does church growth, what do they say? You need to be close to a major city, you need to be close to a highway, and close to an exit, and they've got to be able to see your sign. You, you don't even know where Sunday's church is. And I, and I go there Sunday morning, and I ask Pastor Sunday, I'm like, Sunday, how do you get 800 people per service? Because they have two services Sunday morning in a place like this. And he says, I wish I knew the answer. If I knew the answer, I, I'll tell you. I don't know. Says people find us, they drive all the way two hours some, sometimes to come to church on Sunday morning. And I wish I could say it was my preaching. I don't think I'm that good. I wish I could say it's praise and worship. The first service is a traditional one. So the first service is just singing hymns. It's all white-haired, cotton-haired, little amateurs and apachans, you know, all over the, the congregation, loving God, singing hymns. Second service is more contemporary, kind of like this. And they come there from out of nowhere. So I, I asked him again, he says, I don't know. Well, uh, one of the times I was preaching for Pastor Sunny, I was talking about prayer, which I might touch on actually, just to, because it's necessary. That, that's the linchpin to revival. You remove prayer out of the equation or the understanding of prayer, you're just messing around. You just, you are just in wishful thinking. But when prayer is done right, something happens. So anyway, I was teaching on prayer in that church, and the little old lady suddenly lights up, and she says. Can I talk to you after the service? I say, sure, ma'am. Well, she comes up to me and says, Felix, now I remember. I said, what is it? She says, do you know that many years ago, and I'm going back maybe 35, 40 years before that, she says, I was one of five women that used to intercede. This was nothing but just, just woods. And it was the t a property that was owned by one of the ladies. In fact, one of those ladies donated it for the planting of the church. It says, we used to walk on this property and pray that, Lord, can we have a vibrant church here so we don't have to drive for hours to go to church. We need a church right here in our own. So they were praying and praying and praying, and one day the Lord led one of the ladies to donate the land. And now there's a massive campus, and the young pastor who started there 20-something years ago doesn't know why the church is growing. I had to go back to him and tell him, now I know why. Why? Because what you're experiencing is the residue of an awakening that was caused by five little old ladies. Four are now dead. You've got the, the last one is still alive in your church right now. And they're the key to why you're here. What happened is that the heavens above were opened by the sincere prayer of five little ladies that just wanted God to move on a particular territory. And God honored their prayer. So when you go there, it defies every church growth book. Because some of these things cannot be done by human genius. Ah, we need an intervention from heaven. Are we okay? When you go to the book of Genesis, I want to show you something here real quick. Genesis chapter 1. From verse 26, we get man's assignment as God foresaw it. In fact, before we do that, let me read from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let me make my case slowly. Amen. We're going to sing together and then pray. We're just laying a foundation right now. Are we okay? 
Are we doing good? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the, the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God spoke and said, let there be light. And the Bible says what? And there was light. And so, what I just want to mention is this. So, first of all, the Bible begins and says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, God positions himself at the beginning of it all. We know that's where he belongs, right? God created now, But watch this, though. It says, though, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then the writer lets us know the state that the earth was in. It says that the earth was without form and void. That's a, a Hebrew rendering that is tohu bohu. Tohu bohu means that the, the earth was in a state of chaos. Now, some theologians can debate as to what had happened. There's an entire whole... Um, school of, of, of theology that tries to deal in what they call the gap between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That's not what I'm here to deal with. All I want you to know is this. is the first time the Holy Spirit or the Spirit or the Ruach of God, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Ghost, the first time he ever entered onto the pages of history was in direct keeping with something that God the Father was doing on the earth. The Holy Spirit's Entrance into the pages of history was in direct step with an assignment that God was on. With a project that God was working on. What does that mean? It means the Holy Ghost does not follow human projects. You're too young for him to follow you. But he will always follow the project of God. Whatever God is doing, that's why I guess to cut a long story short of what my whole idea is tonight is this. The secret to attracting heaven is to find out what God is doing and joining him. Because the dispatch of the spirit that you're looking for as you pray for revival, he is only dispatched to carry out heaven's assignment. Not to carry out men's assignment, not to endorse men's movements, not to kind of lift up whatever little effort you are doing for what is your little project no but if what you're doing is heaven's project there is the help of the one who occupies the you know uh, the, the, the the um the, the the third position in the godhead the holy spirit of god he is dispatched to help fulfill the assignment of god the problem we have with the church today is people want the lord and the spirit of god to come in yet nobody is doing heaven's assignment they literally just want him to endorse their project their little assignment, their little building project, their little program, their little this Holy Ghost come in and do No, no. The Spirit of God first entered the pages of history because God the Father was on an assignment to establish order on this planet. And when God the Father was on that assignment, the Spirit of God came to help with the fulfillment of the assignment the Father was in. You want to attract the Holy Spirit, it's easy. What is the Father doing? Are you doing it with him? I get parents that pray, you know, come to me. You know, Pastor Felix, pray so that our kids can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I always ask him, so that what? So that what? To what end? Will you release them to be who God has called them to be? Because the Holy Ghost is given to help God's assignment, not to make you feel comfortable, to give you an experience of goosebumps or to make you go abba, abba. No. The Holy Ghost is given, is dispatched. That's why the Lord says in the book of Acts, what? Stay in Jerusalem until you're endued with what? With power from on high. Why? For you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So that what? Then you can be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. 
Oh, this is the power given to witnesses. It's not the power given to just anybody because they feel like having that. When you have now dedicated that, Father, I will follow you where you will send me. I need your help to fulfill the assignment you have for my life. It's like this. That's how quickly it happens. Are we okay? The whole idea, again, the Spirit of God first enters into the pages of history to back up, to assist, to aid an assignment that the Father was on. When he said, let there be light, it's the Holy Ghost that executed to bring that. Why? Because he is the power behind the Logos. The power behind the Word is the Spirit. So when the Word, let there be light, comes the force that makes that power, that makes that Word create, is the Holy Spirit. How do I attract the realms of God? Ah. So when we say we want revival, we just talk. It's because God has a desire for your city, for your family. God has a desire for your church. And the greatest job you can ever do for yourself is to find out the desire of God concerning your church, your city, your generation. And all you are responsible for doing is partnering with God in what he is doing. Too many people are trying to get God to partner with their agenda. There are not enough people that are first seeking out the agenda of the father. I can tell you the tale of two sons that actually play this out. And I may have explained this here before. Because here's the thing. The difference between Cain and Abel. We've discussed this uh, with Bread of Life before. I know that. You know, and we look, try to look at why was one son's gift denied and the other son's gift accepted. Right? That was the first dilemma, really, you know, post the fall in the human family. Because for me, you see, my sympathy is with Cain. Because I'm a child of farmers. My dad right now is farming on 125 hectares of land. He was a police officer for 27 years, and he went back as soon as he retired. He went back to farming. Both my grandparents were were called what were called master farmers, meaning they were arable farmers that also kept cattle. And I can tell you this. Arable farming is hard work. Looking after cattle, that's what I did. You know what, what, what that involved? A lot of swimming in the river, a lot of fishing in the river. Because when you're looking after cattle, you just have to make sure they don't go into the field. You can play, you can do all this. But when you're an arable farmer, from the time the sun comes out, your back is bent, you're digging the ground. It takes work to work the land. Cain was not lazy. Cain was the hardest working of the two sons. But he was working on his thing. Watch this. So it says this, not only was Cain hardworking, but Cain was the first human being on record to ever bring something to offer to God. It says in Genesis chapter 4, after the passage of time, Cain took the produce of the ground and he came and he put it on an altar before the Lord. Nobody told him to do it. There was no law that instructed him to do it. Just out of his own heart, he wanted to offer God something. But here's the dilemma. The dilemma is that God said no. God rejected Cain and his offering. And that kind of stings when I think about that. Because I hate to think that there are a lot of people that are working hard on things that God doesn't care about. Imagine the first human being to ever say, David, this is from my hard work. I want you to have this. And the Lord says, no money. It's okay. 
I'm not taking that. Which begs the question, why? And of course, everybody factors in, well, it's because his heart was in the wrong place, and well, it's because it was not blood, etc., etc. All of that, you know, means something, but all of that is not the real reason. The real reason is a little bit deeper than that, because the Bible lets us know that Abel went and he found an offering that he brought to the Lord. And the difference, if I was just, for the sake of time, the difference between the two was that the book of Hebrew lets us know that it was by faith that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. It happened by what? By faith. So what was the difference between the two? It was the faith component. But now one begins to ask, well, what is, how does faith come? And you, we, we know the, the answer to that. Faith comes by and hearing by the? So what do you think is the difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering? What is it? Hearing God, he heard the voice. Why do you think he heard it though? He was attentive or, what's that? Fellowship with God, quite possibly, or, what's that? He had faith in it? Yeah. How do you think the faith comes? We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, how is it that Abel heard something and Cain didn't? Maybe his father told him. There's no record of that at all. In fact, there's no record um, that, that, that the father, you know, Adam himself, ever offered God anything. Say it. He was seeking for it. That means what? That means that he did not presume upon the Lord what the Lord wanted. He had the decency to ask. He had the decency to ask that, Father, is this... Is this what you want? What is that? It's an inquiry into the desires of God. The, the secret to tapping into what God is doing is not to come to God with my agenda. Well, you know, Lord, I've been working so hard and, and I've done all this. There, take it. And the Lord says, I'm not taking that. Why? Have you asked me if I like anything you have here? Well, no, I just figured because, you know, I worked. Yeah, you worked hard at it. You worked very hard at collecting stuff I don't care about. Have you the decency to ask? Why is that important? <laughs> oh, help me, Father. So that we ask, we ask accurately, you understand? Do you care about... When you care about people, you care about their desire. When you say you love someone, what, what, what happens, husband and wives, when you say you love one another? You know, mama knows what pastor wants, and you know what, you, what she likes. You know, oh, don't, don't serve him that he doesn't eat that. Or serve him this. Why? Because you know. How do you know? Because you've taken the time to know. That's what love does. It inquires the desire in the heart of the adored object, the thing you love or the person you love. Their desire is important to you. So when you look at the tale of two sons, one son presumed upon God what God wanted and got rejected. The other son must have asked. And that's why he was led by faith because faith comes by hearing. And, and faith said to him, not that one son. No, 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 not that one. Put that one in. No, 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 not that one. No, the one behind it. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one he wants. So by the time that young man came to the altar, he was already carrying in his hands the desire of heaven. And as soon as that young lamb was on the altar, heaven was receiving. Why? Because you ask, begging the question right now, friends and neighbors, are we aware of what God wants for his church?
in the time that we are alive? Are we aware of what the Lord is doing? Are we aware what ministries truly move God? When you're reading your Bible, are you trying to find out how to get stuff from God or are you trying to discover the heart of God? When you're reading your Bible right now, when you're searching through scripture, what are you looking for? What is it that you want? I want to learn how to pray the most effective prayer. Good, okay. Nothing wrong with that. Or could it be that I want to know the heart of my God? I want to know your heart, Lord. Why? How can I offer you anything if I don't know what is important to you? You see, the people that actually discovered the heart of God had a very unusual spiritual experience. I'll give you a few examples. One of my favorite examples is David, for example. Right? So David, when he sinned against God in the sin of Bathsheba, horrible crime, horrible crime by any stretch of the imagination. When he wrote Psalm 51, he made mention of something that would have confused anybody else in his generation. He said, you don't delight in burnt offerings, Lord. What? What do you mean God does not delight in burnt no, David says, God doesn't delight in burnt offerings. He could have said, since Moses, we know that, you know, the, the, the burning of the offering and the burnt offering and the sin offering is important to God. David says, no. You see, when I spend time with him, I actually found out he has no delight whatsoever in dead burning animals. But the law of Moses says, yes, but you never sought the heart of God. You just think you know. You're presuming upon God. David would have told you to your face, No. It's what that lamb represents. Why? Because the true offering to the Lord is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. It's not the animal. It's the posture of the man on the inside. Well, how do you know that? Where do I find it in scripture? He found out because he inquired. Lord, is this what you want? And he must have found out the Lord saying, son, I don't really care about that. It's your heart that matters to me. That's why David, in his repentance, did not ask, Lord, please preserve my throne. Please look after me. Please take No, he just said what? Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation so that these bones that you've broken may rejoice. He knew that the real desire of God was not obvious. Everybody from Moses thought it was the animals. And David found out it was actually the heart. Why? That is information that comes to an individual that seeks beyond you understand? Seeks beyond the obvious and searches deep to say Father reveal your heart to me. That's what the church is ought to be looking for right now. When I'm praying for revival, I would ask you why. When you can honestly say to me it's because I know it is God's heart for my season. It's because I feel the heartbeat of the spirit in, direct, in awakening people to love and to serve him. Then I'll say, Pastor, you are now building your prayer on the right foundation because you're building it not on what you long to see with your eyes. You are partnering with what God wants to see with his. Amen. Are we okay? 
So the big question is this, what does God want? If you were to ask me right now, you know, Felix, just based on some understanding of scripture, what, what do you see as something that, that God wants? I have a very specific little something to share with you tonight. That of all the things that God loves, are we okay? Of all the things that God has been looking for, just in studying of scripture, I found out that there's one particular ministry that is found in all the people that drew close to God. So if you were to ask me what do you think is the most important ministry to the Lord, I would say, I would share that that is probably the one. And why would that be important for me to share that with you? Simple. Because I know that when you are partaking in that activity, you are doing something that is close to the heart of God. And I know that the greatest thing you can ever do with your life is to partner with God in what he's doing. When you partner with the Lord in what he's doing, the anointing is easy. On my own assignment, it's hard to get the anointing. When I join with the assignment of God, it's like breathing. Is that easy? Isaiah chapter 59, if we can turn there real quick. this, amen. From verse 14, it says, justice is turned back and the righteous stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation and his own righteousness upheld him for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in, a, in zeal as a cloak. Now in this particular instance, I love this scripture because um, you know, a lot of times when people discuss the armor of God that Paul discussed in Ephesians chapter 6, they think Paul was in prison looking at a Roman soldier and began to describe what he saw. No. The armor of God that Paul was talking about is a real thing. There is an armor that belongs to God. It's not typology by looking at a Roman soldier. God has an armor. Way before Paul wrote about that, Isaiah unveiled the armor of God, but it was in the context of the Lord coming in is an intercessor for his people. Now watch this. He says the Lord is looking that there's no justice on the earth. So the Lord is seeing something and he's wondering, how come there is no one to intercede? Why is there nobody standing in the gap? And because there was no one that was interceding, what is intercession? Intercession is the standing between to make an appeal on behalf it's the standing of somebody who is innocent to make an appeal on behalf of the guilty. It's when you are not necessarily guilty of that crime. But you stand in proxy and you cry out on behalf of one to whom judgment is due. The call of the intercessor. The call of the one who stands between. The one ministry that everyone here can do. 
So in this writing, it says that the Lord saw that there was no intercessor. There was nobody standing in the gap. So he decided he was going to partake or he was going to undertake the intercessory ministry by himself. And we understand that this was a projection of Christ coming down on the earth. But what you'll notice is this. How did Christ achieve this act of intercession? He did not do it alone. When he came in, he called what we called his disciples. And he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Meaning the whole act of intercession between heaven and earth is what Christ also accomplished through his disciples. Every single one of us that carry the name of disciple or follower of Christ. The first thing we're primarily called to is his ministry. And his ministry as spoken by Isaiah, was the ministry of standing in the gap so that the guilty may have mercy given to them and grace overshadowed upon them. My whole idea is this. If you take any man of God or woman of God in the scripture that you admire, that you think was close to God, the one ministry you will find that they engaged in was the ministry of the intercessor, the ministry of the one that goes between and appeals to God on behalf of the other. What was Noah? Noah was the great intercessor that literally through his intercession, the preservation of the seed of humanity. Otherwise, we would have been destroyed. All of humanity would have been destroyed. Mankind had sinned to a level where God's judgment was going to wipe all us out. But not just us. But Noah was also an intercessor, intercessor that stood in, in, in the gap so that there was the salvation of the species. The animals were preserved because of one man standing in the gap. The Lord looked throughout the earth and could only find one man and one family. But that's all God, that God needed was one man and one family that can say, I didn't thought, David, that can say, here I am, Lord. I will stand in the gap on behalf of the guilty. I will see there's a preservation of the seed of humanity. I will see that there's a preservation of the animal. Whatever you are doing on the earth, if you need an earthly partner, if you're looking for a human partner, Lord, sign me up, I'm available. As for me and my house, we will do whatever it is that you want us to do. So Noah was the great intercessor, stood in the gap. Pick him, any single one of them that you admire. And invariably, you're going to notice that there was something in their heart that beat on behalf of the others. They were an intercessor. So what I'm, what I'm saying right now is this, is that if you want to know, Lord, I want to please you. I want to attract, you know, heaven. I, I want revival. I want to be awakened. You have got to care about what God cares about. You've got to be in the ministry that God himself is in. You've got to call labor with him. What? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. But you sitting and doing nothing. No, take my yoke upon you. Your yoke, yeah, what does that mean? It's the contraption that is hooking Christ to his burden. He's saying, come and share in my burden. And your soul will find rest. Lord, how does my soul rest by pulling the burden with you? Because that, your soul finds rest when you fulfill your divine purpose. Your divine purpose is to, I, I can do this by myself, but I choose not to. I want to do it with you. Will you join me, son? So when you yoke yourself, to what heaven is doing. That's what made Noah prop up in the pages of history. Because when God was trying to do something on the earth and was in search of a human partner, Noah said, I'm here, Lord. I volunteer myself and my family. We will do whatever you tell us to do. I won't, I won't question your judgment. Why are you doing this and why do you have to? No, no, no. If you need an earthly partner, Lord, I'm here. talking about the call of the intercessor. 
the eyes of the Lord, after many years, was scanning the region of the Ur of Chaldees in ancient Mesopotamia. He zoned in in the house of Terah. We found a son of Terah by the name of Abram. Look at the proposal. Genesis chapter 12. Get thee up from your father's house. Will you leave what's familiar to you? And go where I, I will send you. And I will bless you there. And will cause you to be a blessing. Will you leave what's familiar, what you're used to? When you're a student of ancient civilizations, you must understand that Abraham was actually coming from one of the earliest civilizations that we know. So he was kind of coming from a city or from a place that is the center of technology, the center of commerce, the center of all of this. And the Lord was about to send him into the backside of a desert that was in the middle of a drought. But all the Lord was saying was this, will you move, not because it will be more comfortable where you're going, but will you move is because that's where I am and I'm doing a work and I'm looking for a partner. Will you partner with me with what I'm going to do in the deserts of Palestine? It's an offer. And Abraham went to Sarah. He says, honey, we're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. How long are we going to be there? I don't know. How will we know when, we get, when we're there? I don't know. What do you know? He asked me if I can join him on something he's going to be doing in a far out land. And with all of my heart, I said, yes. And Sarah said, let's go. And they packed their bags and left. None of that, the Lord didn't give them anything tangible to take. It was just a promise. It was a promise of what? A, you will be blessed. But more than just that, what will be? You will be a blessing. Meaning what? There are some people I want to bless, but I want to do it through you. Will you let me bless them through you? Some people have said, "Ah, no, as long as, my, as long as me and my family are good, we are good, Father, ah, no, you know, no. But you, see, you understand that there is something that was already within the heart of the man that desired not just what he got out of it, but also desired to be a conduit through God can do for others through him. So the deal he accepted was not just to be blessed, but that through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That, Father, if you want to bless humanity through me, sign me up. I want that assignment. I don't want to just succeed for myself. I don't want to just do well for myself. I don't want, no, no, no. If you want to use my life to be a blessing and to bring a breakthrough to someone else, Father, sign me up. What is that? It's a man whose heart is tilted, is leaning on the very core character of God himself. Are we okay? So to show this to be true, the Lord says this, don't give him the promise for the next 25 years. Let's see if he'll shift. So he was in his early 70s when God spoke to him. In fact, late 60s, early 70s. And he says, I'll give you a son. Through you, you'll have children like the son of this. The Lord goes silent for 13 years, 13 straight years. Genesis 12, nothing. Genesis 15 was almost 13 years after the fact. God shows up and says, I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. And Abraham says, Father, how, how are you going to accomplish what you promised? Seeing Sarah and I, we are childless. 
And the Lord says, let me cut a covenant with you. Cut a covenant with him, disappeared for a few more years. But watch this though. Watch this. Almost 25 years to the day. It's a hot day. And Abraham is camping by the sacred oaks of Memor. And he looks up one day and he sees four men walking by. And something in him says, take care of these guys. He runs after them. He says, sir, 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 sir. Don't, don't walk by my house without coming in. It's a hot day today. Yes. Cut, please cut, cut, come inside. Come and refresh yourself. What is that? I just want to show you something here, man. I want to show you the characters of the individuals we admire because we want their results sometimes, but without understanding their core character. No, 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 don't pass by my house. Don't pass by my, come, on, come on and sit down. Sarah, honey, can, can, can you make a cake? Can you bake a cake? We've got visitors. Young man, go and kill the fetter calf yeah, and prepare it and dress it. We've got visitors. The visitors come in. Let's see if we can find it in scripture. Genesis chapter, chapter 18. Are you guys okay? All right, all right, all right. I'll be done soon, don't worry. I won't bore you too much tonight. Mm. so from verse 4 let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself and after that you may pass on seeing as you have come to your servant so they say do as you have said and Abraham went quickly into his tent to Sarah and he said quick take three seers of fine flour knead it and make some cakes and Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf and tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly then he took curds of, 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 and milk uh, the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them that means God is not a vegetarian amen thank God for that hallelujah thank you Jesus it says and he stood by them under the tree while they ate then now watch this right so what happens here what happens here is that a man goes out of his way to host the presence of God when God was on a journey on a hot day. You understand? Abraham is not angling anything for himself. He didn't even ask God for anything. He just said, please, don't, don't, don't go by my house without passing by. It's a hot afternoon. Refresh yourselves. I'll wash your feet. I'll take care of you. you do you see the tilt of his heart? Now watch this. The tilt of his heart is always other-centered. It's to do good to others. It's to, he's leaning out. And so the Lord comes in there and the Lord eats. And it was only after the Lord had eaten in the house of Abraham that the Lord asked the question, where is Sarah? He says, she's the one who baked the cake. And the word of the Lord came forth. Well, tell her that I'm going to visit you again a year from now. And according to the cycle of life, by the time I come back to visit you, she will be with child. Lord, we've waited 24 years, 25 years. Is this all it took to trigger the miracle? Yeah. What is it? You took care of me without asking for anything for you. You gave me food to eat in your house. You washed my feet. You gave me a cold glass of cold water. And you didn't turn around and say, give me this and give me that and give me this, I want this, I want that. You just took care of me. And because you've done that, I know what your needs are. I know what you've been hungry for. So according to the cycle of life, I'll be back this time next year and you'll be with child. That's part number one, right? So I'm sure Abraham is, Sarah, you know, get, get a name ready. We'll call him Isaac. Or something like, well, Sarah laughed and Isaac means laughter. 
So Abraham begins to do what in my language, in my language in Shona, we have a tradition in, in, in Shona, which means kuperekeza. And kuperekeza, it means that if you have visitors, you know, you don't, you don't stand by your door and say, okay, goodbye, see you, when they're walking away. No, you have to walk part of the way with them. Right? You have to, so my mom would say, like, if we're visitors and they were my cousins and they were, lady, they were girls, my mom would say, take them halfway to their home. So, I, I want to watch TV. The cricket test is, oh, no, 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 no. Take, take your cousin. Why? Kuperekeza, it means that, you know, it's hospitality. To walk with somebody part of the way when they leave the house. It's got nothing to do. The further, the further away from their home, the further away from yours. It's an inconvenience, I know. But it's a courtesy. So, watch this. As Abraham, as he was perekeza in Mari, when he was walking with the Lord, that's when the Lord says this. Hmm. We are about to do something in Sodom and Gomorrah. Would I keep it away from this man? This man, seeing is he's going to be my leader in this region someday. So what's happening? Now watch this. The Lord is not. He just feels provoked to talk to Abraham about what he was about to do. To, 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 for a man to inspire that kind of confidence in God. That sometimes, Pastor, the Lord will come to you and he will just share something with you and you'll say, this is not for the people. I've been given sermons I was not permitted to preach. Wrote them all out and the Lord says, ah, uh, yeah, you, you, you don't share that. Well, why are you telling me? Just for you. Just for you. When the time comes, I'll tell you, but that's not for the people, that's just for you. What, what, what is that? The level of intimacy, the level of closeness, where now, because of what? The secret of the Lord, the Bible says, is with them that fear him. The secret of the Lord. The Lord begins to unveil his secrets. And the Lord begins to let Abraham know of the agenda of heaven with the cities of the plain. So what does the Lord do? Hey, by the way, son, um, we're on our way to the cities of the plain because there's been an outcry that has come to heaven. And if those cities are as evil as the outcry that has come to heaven, we're going to destroy the city. Why was the Lord telling him that? Giving him what we call the intercessor's opening. What is the intercessor's opening? A chance for a person with the right heart to stand in the gap and intercede. Now, this is not for selfish people, you see. This is not for people that are so full of themselves. And that there are some people that I know that want so much stuff. And prayer meeting is just people asking God, Lord, please, and give us this. And Lord, we need you to do this. And Lord, always asking for stuff. Always stuff. No, the intercessor that's not, doesn't approach heaven like that. The intercessor anticipates the needs of God and begins to pray them through. It's the most important ministry in all of Christendom. Is the go between the intercessor. It is the first calling of every preacher. Anybody that thinks you will work with kids, you want to work with, in the, with the youth, you want to do anything for the kids, you want to run a sound system, you've got to be an intercessor in your heart because that is heaven's, the whole act of Calvary and the brutality of the cross was an act of intercession. The one who hung on the cross was not guilty, but he hung there on behalf of the guilty. That is the calling to intercession. So watch this. Was Abraham guilty of the, of the sins of the cities of the plain? No. Not at all. Was a Abraham under judgment for, 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 for the activity of the cities of the plain? No. Not at all. He was good. Him and his family, they were good. And they had a baby that was soon going to be coming. He did not need to interfere. But why? But the intercessor's heart will not let you keep quiet. So he says, Lord, 
Can I ask you something? And the Lord says, go ahead. And he says, uh, if there are 40 people in that city that are righteous, will you destroy the righteous with the unrighteous? Far be it from you that you will destroy the righteous and the unrighteous. What is Abraham interceding for? For 40 people? What do you think? Is he praying for 40 people? No. What is he praying for? The city. But he's saying what? The 40, let them be that for the salvation of the city. He's not saying if there are 40 people, pull 40 people out. He's saying, Lord, if there are 40 people, will you destroy the city? And what does the Lord say? If there are 40, I won't do it. And does the Lord expand on that? No. Why? That's the job of the intercessor. To find out the extent of God's heart. That's your job. So Abraham says, Lord, what if there are 30? The Lord says, for 30, I won't destroy it. What if there are 20? For 20, I won't destroy it. What if there are 10? For 10, I won't destroy it. How big was God's love? It, was, it covered that whole spectrum. But why did he not just give it all at once? Because the job of the intercessor is to stand in the gap and make an appeal. And Abraham, the intercessor, ended at 10. And God ended at 10. What if Abraham said, if there's one? According to the trend we are noticing, what would God have said? For the sake of one, I won't destroy. Lot would have been the salvation of Sodom. But how far did God go? As far as the intercessor. Why? Because the mystery of the activity on the earth is that anything that happens on the earth that involves God is a divine partnership with mankind. That's why no angel can preach the gospel. Only we can do it. Are you understanding what I'm saying? If you understand this, then you know why. why well, well, look at, look at, oh God help me. You look at Moses in, 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 in Exodus 32, 32. Right? Children of Israel have upset the heart of God. The God is coming in in judgment. And he says to, to, to Moses, stand aside. I will wipe out this entire nation and I'll raise up the children of Israel through you. What does Moses say? Moses say, no, you're not going to do that. What is that? It's the, the role of the intercessor. What is the role of the intercessor? To stand in between humanity and judgment and make an appeal on people that don't know how to pray for themselves. How long were the children of Israel supposed to be in Egypt? 400 years. How long were they in Egypt in reality? You guys know? 400 and, 430 years. Why the extra 30 years? There could be a, a, we, can, we, can, we can deal with a couple of theories as to why. The first could be they didn't call on the name of the Lord. Because God, when he went to Moses in Exodus 3, he says, I've heard their cry. That's why I'm sending you. Maybe they didn't cry. The other thing could be maybe God was working on Moses to be the most, because Moses didn't used to be humble. He used to be, a, you know, very self-confident. At 40 years old, he was going to save the Jews, the, the Hebrews by himself. He rose up against the Egyptian using his own strength. So, and, and God 
got banished into the wilderness for 40 years. Maybe that 40 years was the Lord humbling the men, breaking the men down until he no longer was about his own agenda, no longer was about to prove something, but he was so malleable to what God wanted. When God said, listen, I want to set my children free. Will you go and represent me before Pharaoh? He fought the Lord initially. Lord, I don't feel confident enough. Lord, I don't feel I'm good enough. And the Lord says, it's okay. I'll make a plan, but will you go? And so Moses allowed himself to go there as an intercessor, meaning as the mouthpiece of heaven in the salvation of the Hebrew nation that had been in slavery for 40 years. But now watch this. Now at that bush, God told him, I love my people and I'm going to rescue them. Now he's saying, stand aside, I'm about to destroy them. What does the intercessor do? The intercessor always refers to the first conversation with God and say, Lord, I know you're angry right now. Yeah, they have moved you to anger right now. But when I was in that bush, you told me that you love them. So, stay your anger. Calm your anger down. He says, why? Because if you want to wipe them out, you might as well blot out my name. Wipe me out as well. So, a lot of people say, well, well, you were so self-assured. No, that is the cry of the intercessor. He stands between judgment. The intercessor is like that parent where somebody's attacking your child and you shield them with your own body. That's what the intercessor does. He makes an appeal. And heaven is moved by intercessors. Because why? Because the ultimate ministry of Christ is the ministry of the great intercessor. So you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus when you don't have a heart for intercession. The whole act of Calvary was an innocent savior suffering on behalf of a guilty people. It was the greatest act of intercession. So what am I saying? Oh God. I'm saying that the Lord some of the greatest experiences that I've had with the Lord I'm talking about supernatural experiences I've had a few I've had quite a few but when looking back at the anatomy of most of those supernatural experiences they always involved the ministry extended to other people. The darkest night I've ever had in my life. And when I say the darkest night, I, 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 I had an experience in a vision, in a dream, that I thought was going to kill me. I thought I was going to live through it. Just so you understand, I know grief in the physical sense. I, I've suffered grief in the physical sense. From a young age when my grandparents were killed, I remember the grief of knowing that my Uncle David had been been killed and my cousin, who I knew, had been killed. But more than just that, I buried my own sister when I was, you know, 18 years old and she was 20 and she was my best friend growing up. She had been my best friend. And uh, when I sat by my sister's grave, when I stood there, I literally thought that the grief was going to crush me and kill me. I didn't know a human being could hurt that much and live. Yet none of that compares to the way I felt in the vision that the Lord gave me. And it was a vision of the end times. And you see, all in church, all my life as a kid growing up in church, pastor, they'd always told me that the day of the Lord's coming was going to be a happy day. I've never been more sad in my life. I cried for two straight hours, begging the Lord not to come back yet. Because all of a sudden, it was in this dream, I was actually partially awake. It's a hot African night. I'm sleeping by my bed. The window is open. And I'm, I'm just staring at the stars. I'm awake at that time. Then I start hearing voices. Can't you see it's coming? Don't you see it's coming? They're coming down. I, I, my, my, my room was upstairs, and this was coming from downstairs. Like, like I know there's nobody there. Everybody's in bed. This is like way, 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 way 
early in the wee hours of the morning. Can't you see he's coming? Look up to the sky. Don't you see the Lord is coming? The Lord is coming. And I looked up in the sky and I saw something coming down to the earth like a great big ball of, of, of golden dust. And I thought I was going to be happy. But then now all of a sudden, it felt final. And what I mean by that is this. I felt that any ministry I could have done, any help I could have offered another human being, anything that I could have done that has any consequences cannot be done beyond this point. The curtain is closing. Every opportunity to pray, every opportunity to preach, every opportunity to, 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 to evangelize, gone. This is it. The curtain is closing. And my heart was squeezed so, so deeply. I began to wail and cry. Lord, you cannot come back now. The world is not ready. Lord, I've got friends that are still not saved. Lord, I've got people that I went to school with that I know don't walk with you. You cannot come tonight. Not tonight, Father. Please, you cannot. I'm begging. I'm begging. I am crying. I'm begging for two straight hours. Begging God. By the time I came around, my, my, the bed that I was in was soaked with sweat. I had to take my covers off. I had snot. I had tears. I'd been crying for two straight hours. My pillow was soaked. I was shaking like I'd just seen a ghost. And could not believe that the way my heart felt was deeper multiple times than the grief I felt when, I, when my sister passed away. I could not understand that. And I kept begging God, you cannot come now. We haven't done enough. We haven't done enough. We've been so comfortable, Lord, the world still needs to know. Too many people don't know who you are. And so when I came around, I, it was almost four in the morning. I went and knocked on my parents' door. I said, mom and dad, so what, 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 is everything okay? I said, I, I need to borrow some money. At four in the morning? Yes. Well, I, 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 I have to take, because I had no transportation. I took a bus ride for the next two days, and I visited all my friends that I'd gone to high school with. One by one, they were all, all scattered in cities around the country. I took a bus to each one of them and made sure, George, you better make sure that you, you're walking with the Lord. I saw a vision of the Lord coming back. What am I saying? Is when it all comes down to the real core issues that are important, are we together? When it comes down to the core issues that are important, there's a reality that the Lord is coming soon. There's a reality that there's a message that needs to go into the world. There's a reality that without the agency of that church, the, that message is not going forth. The Lord is not sending angels to preach this gospel. Why must the church be revived so that we are awakened to our call to evangelism again? So that we are awakened. For some of us, we, want, we meaningfully want to do something, but we're complacent because the shock of, of, of seeing this up close and, and personal hasn't happened to us yet. So we postpone until next year, maybe this time next year. No, when we are aware of the fact that the Lord is about to move upon this planet like he's never moved before, and we want to be close partners with what he's doing, it forces us to come alongside and say, Father, let me... I want to walk with you this stretch. I want to shoulder this part, particular part of the burden. What can I do? Father, if I cannot go there, let my prayers go there. The, the, then what is born? The ministry of the intercessor. What is the ministry of the intercessor? You enter into corporate buildings on your knees at home. You enter into the hallways of power in D.C. While you're in your room at home. Rebo You are praying prayers that are consequential for the very welfare of nations at home because you understand that A, God wants to move upon the nations and B, God is not going to do it outside his church. He's looking for partners within his own house. Those intercessors that stand in the gap and do the most important means. Now, when you are that, when you are that important to the scheme of what God is doing, the heavens open. Those experiences you want, 
They are given. The experience of an open heaven, it's easy. Why? Because it's energizing workers, people that are actually doing something. The, 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 the dilemma has been that the lazy church that doesn't want to do anything wants to see a move of God. For what? Lord, we want to see you move. Really? No, when you're interceding and you're crying out. You know how the nation of India opened up, right? The nation of India. In recent times, India to be touched with the gospel the way it has in the last few years was, was, it was, it was something strange. It happened. So here's what happened. When I was in Zimbabwe, late 80s, early 90s, there was a movement. I don't know if you remember the prayer movement, Pastor. It used to cover what was called the 1040 window. How many of you guys remember that prayer movement? I was in Zimbabwe and we were crying out for India. You understand? Because they mobilized, the Wagner Institute and the World Prayer Center mobilized a global movement to pray for India. We were praying over the 1040 window. And all we're asking is, Lord, may it be easy for people to get saved there. Father, may there be light that penetrates the darkness. Lord, may you come through. And we're praying for the name. I'm in Zimbabwe. We used to sing the song, Here I am, my father, waiting for your word. Speak and I will hear you. Show me how to serve the man that needs your mercy and the child that's lost her way. Lead me by your spirit as we pray, as we pray, pray for the people on your heart. As we pray, Lord, pray for the people on your heart. I believe that if I seek you, I can touch the people on your heart. That's what we were singing for India in Zimbabwe. I got a friend of mine, Dr. Johnson, who is a professor in Houston. We had a ministry in Calcutta for almost 20 years. He said, Felix, uh, we got less than three people saved in 20 years of hardcore ministry. And then now all of a sudden, we couldn't, we couldn't keep up. People just started getting saved. What was, now you've got mega churches. The, the largest church building on earth is in India. Satish Kumar. And he built it in 52 days. Now all of a sudden India is opening up. Any little somebody who is a nobody here can do a convention there and have 70,000, 80,000 people show up. You think that was, no. What opened up the nation to the gospel? You go to Bangalore, you go to some of these hipster cities, you see what mega churches coming up. And, and they might even write books about how, yeah, you know, we just did this and it worked. No! The heavens were broken open by what? By the intercessors. Intercessors who you'll never see this side of heaven. You'll only meet them when you get to the other side. Because they were not the amazing preachers. They were not these great men and women. Of, no, they were just little, you know, men and women on their knees. Crying out on behalf of a nation that they will never afford to visit. And the heavens opened. I'm almost done. What am I saying? Where is the one with the heart of an intercessor? A true heart of an intercessor means you're fasting. Not because you need a breakthrough for your kids. You're fasting because you need a breakthrough for the nations. You're seeking God, not because you just want to see the... No, you're seeking God because you want to partner with what he's doing. The people that will do that, if you hear me good, the experiences that you're looking for in God are easy to walk into. You can easily walk into supernatural visions, supernatural appearances. You can easily walk into the power for deliverance and the power of healing. It's all easy. The linchpin that moves everything is the heart of an intercessor. It's the most powerful ministry that has ever happened. So, so, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Oh, sorry, my bad. 
Good. Now I need you to stand in the gap for the Gentiles. The Gentiles, Lord, I'm a Benjamite. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a good Jew. I need you to have a heart open for the Gentiles. Will you intercede for them? What does Saul of Tarsus say for the rest of my life? Even if my own brethren throw me out, I'll live for this pig-eating, kosher-breaking Gentiles. What is that? He did not accept the ministry to preach. He accepted the ministry of the intercessor. The preaching is a byproduct of the intercessory ministry. Are we okay? Almost done. Almost done. Two minutes. Why am I yelling and screaming this? My observation, and I could be wrong, but the church in the West is very self-focused. That's why some of the songs we love are ah, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me and if I still am found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless. I'm just amazed at how you love me. Lord, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. Really? That's what astounds you? No, the world revolves around us. Oh, how he loves us all. Oh, how he loves us. Tears coming up. How he loves us Oh, Nothing wrong with that. But I think you're a little bit too self-focused. I think, I, I, I think your, your world is rotating around you. Maybe just a little bit too much. Mm, I'm okay with that. And I get what you're trying to say. But I think you're a little bit obsessed with yourself. Just a little bit. Because the calling of the true intercessor is a touch of the selfless. It says, I'm comfortable. My kids are doing well. Then why are you crying, Amachi? Because the world is struggling and going to hell. But your family is good, I know. But why are you uncomfortable, men of God? Because in my city, somebody is dying tonight and going to hell. Why are you uncomfortable? You're in the United States. You know, visa has been extended. You know, even though Trump wanted you out, you're back. You're here. You should be happy. No. Why? Because on my street, the same street that I live, if they die tonight, they're going to hell. And more than just that, but because I know that my father loves people. So because of his love for people, I want to share in that love and use my mouth to make an appeal on their behalf. I'll be like Peter in the house of Cornelius and say, my people are good. We got the baptism, but these Gentiles need God. And I'll stand in there even if I'm uncomfortable as long as it's an opportunity to partner with heaven. If you would hear what I'm trying to say tonight, I've just given you the keys to supernatural experiences in God, to the supernatural infilling of the Holy Spirit, to walking in miraculous signs and wonders, and to attracting revival. It's just linking your heart with God's and carrying the burden of the intercessor. Rich, can I have the worship team? Um, can we sing that Tamil song together? Deva 
just want to sing that together. And I guess I just want to ask right now, in fact, I'm, I'm, I feel led to just, I'll take an altar call if needs be. But friends, have you, any of you noticed that there was a time that your heart will be burdened about kingdom things? And let's be honest. And, and, and then you found yourself getting a little bit more comfortable and more casual. And if you were to be honest with me tonight, you would say, Felix, there was a time I used to care deeper than I do now. But I want it back. I want back the heart I used to have for the lost. I want back the heart I used to have for what God was doing. I want back a little bit of what I, what I used to have before. Have any of you noticed that there's been a complacency that has come in sometimes or a comfort and, and, and that, that, is, that, that, that years ago used to be more desperate in your search for God? Am I the only one that's experienced this? If that's you and you can honestly say with me today, that Father, awaken my heart to love you passionately. Awaken my heart to care. I'm tired of just praying for just me and my family. I want to pray for whoever you would put upon my heart. I want to genuinely care in my heart, Lord. And you can honestly say, I don't feel it, but I want it. I want you to come up, I want to pray for you. Because that burden is transferable. The Lord can awaken the burden within your heart like this. Let's all stand. The floor is open. Hallelujah. You guys heard what I said. If anybody at all, that when you examine your heart deep on the inside, you say, Felix, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I care at the level that I want to. I want my heart to awaken. To what be honest. There's nobody here. There's no pretenses. Amen. Just be honest between you and God. If you felt the Lord was targeting your heart, he wants to awaken something in you. Come up, come up closer, come up closer. Let's not be afraid, let's not be ashamed. Nothing to be ashamed of. If you can truly say, awaken the, 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 the calling of the intercessor, the heart of the intercessor. What is the heart of the intercessor? Do you know that when you accept this call, it means that you are on call 24-7. Because sometimes the Lord will approach you and have the Lord come at 2 or 3 in the morning. Wake me up 2 or 3 in the morning. Pray for so-and-so. Pray right now. Because something urgent is happening. You have to be the type of person that can just, in, even in that moment, tired, you've got to get up and go, get to work the next morning. But you're on call, ready for whatever heaven has for you. I'm inviting you to the greatest ministry on earth. Ah. Uh, Back when I was in Zimbabwe, I shared this with a group of youngsters. And I just said, how many of you don't feel that you have that, that real strength for intercession, but you want the Lord to impart that on you? Five kids came up, and I prayed over them. These youngsters became some of our best intercessors ever. And whenever I was out to, uh, preaching somewhere, they would pray down heaven, and I would see God move. I know this is something that the Lord can awaken. Anybody at all that wants to be honest enough to say, I want to care deeply. Come on up, my brother. No need to be afraid. No need to be ashamed. Nobody's judging anybody. We just want to be the best we can be for God. Yes, O Lord, Father, I thank you for awakening, 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 awakening those that slumber, awakening the intercessor. Ah, the Lord wants to share with you his heart. You understand? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful burden to carry. It's heaven's burden. 
I know some of you might say, Felix, I don't, I don't feel like I'm gifted to speak. No, as an intercessor, behind closed doors, you shake nations. Come on closer, guys. Can you guys come a little bit closer? Jesus, how we love you. While we're here, the prayer is simple. Lord, work deep within my heart. Work deep within my heart, Lord. Give me your love for people. Your love for your church. Your love for your work. Put your love in my heart, Lord. All I can do is to offer you my heart. Fill me with your love. Let me care as you care. Come on, help me pray, y'all. Father, I thank you for just answering the call of the intercessor. The anointing and the, the calling of an intercessor. That when you bring people and nations before the Lord, there's shifts and happenings that take place in the unseen realms. Even as your heart, God, begins to partner up with the heart of God. There's a rebirthing of your ministry. A rebirthing of your calling. A rebirthing of your purpose in the name of Jesus Christ. As a family. As a family. That when you partner up to pray for families, my goodness, you will see what God will do in and amongst you. Awakening that passion in that heart. May he place his love, his burden. It's a beautiful burden to carry, precious sister. It's a beautiful burden to carry. Or to be on call 24-7 with heaven. To know that you are partnering with what God is doing. There is no greater feeling. Ah, to know that your father.